This episode is brought to you by Living in the Light Co. Brooke started this as a passion project in 2019 while working full-time as a nurse. In 2020, she felt God was calling her to use it as a ministry and left nursing to pursue this full-time. All L-I-T-L Co. apparel is designed custom by Brooke. No items are purchased through mass sellers. All of the bows and scrunchies are wholesale through small U.S. businesses and are handmade. Their goal is to wholesale through more and more small businesses so that customers know where their items are sourced, who is making them, and ultimately can be reassured that when they spend money with them, it is going to wholesome families who are creating beautiful things to support themselves. And personally, my favorite part about them are their priority is to ensure that LITL Co. is 100% spiritually based and run, and they do not cave to culture. So head over to their website, www.litlco.com, and use the code THOSEGIRLS to get 10% off of your purchase. Thanks. I just don't think there's enough evidence. And I think that's and that's a problem, especially mm-hmm. when it comes to like sentencing and things like that, because God forbid he actually didn't do it. First of all, someone... I know they have to feel, they shouldn't do the lottery. So I'm sure they feel like the luckiest person in the world if someone else did it. And then number eight, it's just, hard to separate yeah. that from, I mean, just because you do all that doesn't mean you're a murderer. Right. But you're still scum, you know, it's like. Yeah, <laughs> he, he demonstrated a pattern of just bad moral character, essentially. Yes. And I think to the media circus, since this was really one of the first media circus murder trials, I wonder if that impacted the jury's decision. Can't relate to cancel culture, hookup culture, or victim culture? (laughs) Well, neither could we. We created this platform for those other girls. Girls like us who want to give a different perspective from a Christian and conservative worldview. We talk about life, work, relationships, and everything in between. Let's be those other girls that don't just talk about culture, but change culture and bring back traditional values. The views expressed on this podcast are our own and do not reflect our employers. Enjoy! Hello, everyone. You're listening to Those Are the Girls with Mallory and Friends. I'm Mallory. And I'm Abby. And we are changing culture and bringing back traditional values. So today we have a really, really good true crime episode. Probably one of the most popular episodes. I think it was like one of the first times someone's murder was or disappearance was national news. I think this was like probably... this, This came on the coattails of OJ. So I think OJ was kind of the first big one. And this is like often compared to that one. So yeah, yeah. Like this is, this is big y'all. So, and I'm sure a lot of you um, know this case, but we're going to have like a little twist to it. For one, Abby is in law school. um, So she can talk a little bit and we're going to talk about the case, but then we're also going to talk a little bit about like some of the things that have happened recently about this case. Uh, So it'll be really good. Forgive my voice. I'm still <laughs> recovering, but I'm not coughing, so that's important. Um, but yeah, I guess 
did I even say the person's name yet? Scott Peterson. <laughs> yeah, Scott Peterson. Woo, or not woo, but like no, interesting. Yeah. We, we are not huge fans. <laughs> yeah, no. no matter what. So I, my opinion has changed over the years after doing more research. But no matter what, um, he's a jerk. Like there's no getting around that. Like he's not a good guy. Whether he's a murderer or not. Hmm but he's definitely not a good guy and we'll we'll get into it (laughs) all right take it away all right so you guys know I like to start off with a little background on the situation set the stage uh so I actually learned some stuff about Scott Peterson's background that I did not know um so he was born in San Diego California which is where I am right now I was gonna say (laughs) aren't you in San Diego (laughs) I am yes um he was born to parents Lee and Jackie um his parents had six other children from previous marriages but he was the only one that was the two of them that he was their child um so he had like a bunch of half siblings uh scott was a very good golfer growing up he was teammates with phil mickelson at university of san diego high school which i i attend university of san diego (laughs) oh my goodness that we had a high school wow okay yeah I'm I'm guessing it's probably just some high school in the area that's like affiliated with the university somehow like but I was like I did not know that was a thing (laughs) yeah oh wow so wow that's great okay keep going that's crazy yeah yeah but I mean for those of you who don't know or who aren't into golf Phil Mickelson is like one of the best golfers like in recent history basically yeah I think he's Um, like right under Tiger Woods He's, right. he's often like competitive with Tiger Woods. I mean, Tiger Woods has been kind of in and out of competition. And basically if Tiger Woods is out, Phil Mickelson's on top. Like, yeah. Um, so yeah, kind of interesting that they were teammates. They also, both of them went on to play at Arizona State University, which uh, is like, like you gotta be good to play at a school like that. Um, however, Scott's dad noted that Scott got like pretty discouraged when Phil like got, a lot better than him because they were kind of I think like competitive growing up and then all of a sudden Phil like got good and like got all this notoriety and stuff and he kind of got left in the dust so I mean I think that might have been the start of some like self-esteem issues and stuff for him um but Scott ended up actually getting kicked off the team at Arizona State University because he took a younger teammate out drinking and I guess the teammate's dad found out about it and complained to the coach that Scott was like a threat to his son's future. Oh. I mean, I'm not going to get into how I feel about parents being involved in collegiate sports because I think it's a little inappropriate, but I mean, it's understandable. Like this dad's just looking out for his son. He's a young kid. He, you know, kind of thinks maybe Scott's maybe a little jealous of him because he's one of the best players on the team, stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I didn't know about any of that. So I didn't I know that. that might have been the start of the end for him because it kind of just worse from there (laughs) and I feel like like being kicked out of college that's traumatizing whether you I don't think he actually got kicked out of Arizona State I think he just got kicked off the golf team but he did Uh... end up transferring to a different school oh okay at least that's how I read it I could be wrong I don't know (laughs) but I mean still like uh, the very mm. least not being able to do your sport that you've been doing your whole life that you were yeah. reasonably good at that is traumatizing that yeah oh my gosh upsetting. if I had gotten kicked off this swim team in college I would have been devastated <laughs> like yeah. that's, that's awful um yeah. but yeah so just kind of an all-around not great situation but he then transferred to Cuesta College in San Luis Obispo which I think is like a community college um and then 
after that, he transferred to Cal Poly, which is also in uh, San Luis Obispo, which we in California call slow. <laughs> so if I say <laughs> slow, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> so uh, that's where he met Lacey, who is his future wife. Um, he was working at a cafe and Lacey was friends with some of his coworkers there. So she would come in to visit. And uh, one day she like gave him her number and he called her and they started dating like pretty much immediately. They dated for two years before they moved in together. And then a year later when Lacey graduated from Cal Poly, they got married. Um, they stay after they pretty much right after they got married he started cheating on her yeah, uh investigators like after the disappearance and all of that they like kind of went back and like looked into some of this stuff and they found out that there were two women that he was having extramarital affairs with like right around this time they never like released names or details or anything but like they said they confirmed like he was cheating on her pretty much since they had gotten married um he's a jerk no yeah. matter what you believe by the end of this or, you know, by yeah. the end of your life, one thing we can all agree is that Scott Peterson is a jerk. Yeah, there's really no way to, like, explain that. Like, that's just, yeah. I mean, I, at that at that point, I'm kind of like, just why, just don't get married. I was about to say, if you can't, <laughs> don't, what was the point of getting married? Exactly. Like, if you, I, I don't understand it, but I mean, that that's what happened. So they Christ. stayed in San Luis Obispo for a while before they moved to Modesto, California, which is uh, Lacey's mother's hometown. So I think they just, because uh, they, they had like started, they, they bought a bar or something there. And I guess the bar was kind of struggling and they, they just like, you know, kind of wanted to do something a little different and be closer to family. So they moved to Modesto. Um, in Modesto, uh, Lacey was a part-time substitute teacher for a while, but Scott started working for a fertilizer company and he started like getting pretty successful with the company. He was uh, like making commission and stuff. So as he like got more successful, Lacey then transitioned into just being like a stay-at-home housewife, which her family said she loved. She loved cooking, cleaning, like, you know, just Sounds being the perfect great. housewife. She was very enthusiastic about it. So um, you know, things for a while seemed pretty good, seemed pretty happy for them. And uh, in 2002, she told her family that she was pregnant. Um, in December of 2002, when she disappeared, she was eight and a half months pregnant. So she was like going to give birth, I think, in they said her due date was like February 10th. So she was like, very close to yeah she's probably huge or she oh yeah huge. yeah I mean yeah if you see the pictures of her she is like massive <laughs> like yeah um about ready to pop so now we'll get into Lacey's disappearance so okay so this part everyone pay really close attention because there's a lot of like details I guess that are important when you're decide when you're determining if Scott Peterson did this yeah yeah so Lacey was last seen by her family members on December 23rd 2002 at 5 45 p.m at this time she went to get a haircut from uh at her sister Amy's hair salon so her sister Amy is the last one that saw her um she talked on the phone with her mother Sharon that night that same night at 8 30 p.m um, so then the next morning, Scott 
left the house around 9 30 and that was the last time he saw or he claims to have seen Lacey he said he left to go fishing at Berkeley Marina and she was like sitting on the couch watching the Martha Stewart show um and she was getting ready to like do some chores bake some cookies because this is Christmas Eve remember uh and she was going to take their dog Mackenzie for a walk he said so he left the house so the next thing that police can kind of trace to is a neighbor found the Peterson's dog Mackenzie like wandering around the neighborhood by herself she had like a leash on and the guy like saw her and knew like oh this is the Peterson's dog like that's weird she's wandering around so he just took her back and like put her in their backyard I think they had like a fenced in backyard so he kind of just put her back there and was like all right well (laughs) and he left went on his way yeah um so that happened. And wait, the, pause for two seconds. And yeah. the leash was still on. The leash was on the dog. Yeah, like okay. like and the I dog was walking around with the leash, just like trailing behind, which I thought was really weird. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, that, that to me that implies that something happened on the walk. Right. Like, or I mean, she at least was intending to take the dog for a walk right and the dog got out or I don't know but like yeah like yeah she was at least going to take the dog for a walk or maybe was already on the walk right Um, right but then I also wonder I'm like was was Scott trying to cover his tracks did he yeah that's go ahead Mackenzie run around with that leash like yeah I don't know I mean there's a lot of different ways this could go (laughs) yeah well that's what I'm saying if he's a master in the field if he's thinking that far ahead that is true that's that would be very smart I mean it would be smart (coughs) dang it okay like I was saying like my initial thought was okay something must have happened on the walk if the leash is on there so if he was thinking ahead that would make sense for him that would that's not a stupid thing to do either like to be like well then how did the dog get out like she must have been walking the dog you know like how do you argue that (laughs) yeah 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 but Anyways, so next next thing that happens is Scott returned to the house like later that afternoon after he like got back from his fishing trip. The the house was empty. Mackenzie was in the backyard because the neighbor had put her there. And uh Lacey was not there, but her car was in the driveway. So what does he do? He goes and takes a shower. <laughs> like I mean, doesn't uh, whatever. I mean, he he was probably all dirty from fishing, like, you know, it's- don't not so half of me is like oh my gosh okay your pregnant wife is not here and you're just gonna go take a shower you don't at least want to call her cell phone be like hey where are you like right right the other half of me is like I've come home before and like my nobody's been here and I don't automatically start panicking you know I think it just really like it's this is a good example of how another either or like it could just be because um in a podcast I was listening to, they were saying like, when you're out fishing, you come back and you're really dirty, you smell yeah. bad and you're gross. So all you want to do is just take a shower. He did say so he like, was like wet too. Like, so, yeah. I mean, I understand that. Also like she does have family nearby. So like, it would have been really easy for her to just like pop over to family's house. But the only thing that gets me is that her car was in the driveway. Like, right. if I came right. home and my roommate's car, like literally when I come home, if my roommate's car is in the driveway, I'm like, oh cool, she's home. Like, <laughs> but there are times where she's out on a run and like her car is here but she's not like so I don't know I I guess 
maybe I'm reading too far into it, but no, no, no. the car was in the driveway, I would have assumed she was home. But yeah, I mean, one thing this is an example of he could have, it was a good look on his part, or it's really like a hmm, maybe somebody else type thing. Yeah, yeah. So he showered and at 5.15 p.m., Lacey still wasn't home. So he like started calling around to her family members, like to see if anyone had seen her. And uh, that's when Lacey's stepfather called the police. And like, they have confirmed he is the first one who called the police to like report her missing. So that night detectives came to the Peterson's house and they found Lacey's keys, wallet and sunglasses in her purse in a closet. Um, the dining room table was set for a dinner and I mean, yeah, it was, it was Christmas Eve. So they were like, probably gonna have family over or something. Um, but yeah, so Peterson was questioned that, or Scott Peterson was questioned that night and police said they suspected him immediately, which I mean, is not shocking because I feel like generally when someone goes missing, they always look to like the significant other. Right, right. But they said, like, in addition to that, he came off as, like, very calm and stoic and, like, almost, like, like, not like somebody whose wife was, whose pregnant wife was missing. He was just kind of, like, whatever about it, I guess. And uh, he also gave some inconsistent answers when they questioned him. Um, So he had told investigators that he went golfing that day, which he kind of later backtracked and said, well, I was going to go golfing that day, but then I like last minute decided to go fishing or something like that. And it's kind of like, why lie about that? Like, why would you lie about that? It doesn't, what difference does it make? (laughs) Uh, I, it almost seems like he was trying to tell him he went golfing, like, so that they wouldn't trace him to the San Francisco Bay, which is spoiler alert, where they're eventually going to find her body. So I don't know that was weird to me and then um they they like also he called Lacey's cell phone at one point and left it was it was at like I didn't write down the time it was at like 2 30 p.m or something though he called and left her a voicemail and said like that he was heading to Berkeley Marina but uh it was confirmed later that the last time he had seen her like I mentioned earlier was 9 30 that morning so it's like where was he between 9 30 and when he left that voicemail yeah so the inconsistent answers were like a big red flag, I think, to investigators. Oh, I'm sure. Um, and then they also uncovered that he was cheating on Lacey again with a woman named Amber Fry. She, I actually feel really bad for this poor woman. I feel <laughs> like, so bad I, for her. I, Like, honestly, I've watched interviews with her and she like fully cooperated with police she really just like got dragged into a situation that she had no business being in like and you could tell she actually genuinely liked him like yeah i, I can't imagine like she genuinely and in a, another uh, thing i was listening to they said that he she introduced him to her daughter like yeah that, yeah i feel so bad for they, her they hadn't been together that long i don't think but like they she she was like really she really liked him and he had yeah. told her that he was single he had told her like that he had lost his wife and this was his first holiday without her before any of this happened which yes. December I, he said he said that on December 9th and she yes. went missing mm-hmm. on December 24th and yeah that I can't that's a red flag that's I know like how do you explain that I guess he tried to tell her like well there's lots of ways you can lose someone 
And I was I like, mean, I guess you can say like you but love that's like, very misleading. You have to know that's very misleading when you say that. Oh, so, yeah. Like somebody's immediately going to think she died. <laughs> yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The yeah. only like expert I was thinking like you lose like we've lost our love type of thing like we've lost attraction to each other now but like but that's you're, no one's really should be up front about you know if it's like right. well you know I'm in the process of separating from my wife like that is very different than my wife has died like right so right. yeah she she was like fully under the impression that he was single while they were dating yeah. um she there's like there's some pretty like iconic photos of them together at her Christmas party, like a week before this happened. I'll post it, you guys, on the blog. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, this this poor woman, I like feel again so bad for her. But she like I she fully like cooperated that. with police. They they had like a recording device on her phone, and they were having her have like phone conversations with with Scott throughout their whole investigation because they didn't like the they didn't arrest him until April of 2003 so there were like f- almost four months that went by between like Lacey's disappearance and them actually arresting him so she like played played a pretty big role I think in like exposing kind of like what was going on I don't think she really uncovered any kind of like smoking gun evidence but there are a lot of conversations uh, that she had with him that they recorded on her phone that investigators talk about in like articles and documentaries I, and stuff about this I feel like what she did expose was his character mm-hmm. because you know and the, just the fact that he's day, a liar yeah and the like what w- at during like the visual or something he like stepped away to tell her that he was in Paris and yeah it was at his the visual trying to find her this was before we knew that she was dead right and it's just, that just exposed a lot of his character and honestly yeah. like not to, we're gonna get to the sentencing in a little bit but like that I think his character all that stuff was his worst enemy like if he wasn't this terrible liar I don't think mm-hmm. pe- people wouldn't have I don't think he would have been convicted if I'm being honest because like if people didn't see well anyway we'll get there we'll get there right yeah so <laughs> I, it's crazy because yeah like you like you mentioned Mallory uh he lied to her and said he was like in Europe with friends or something he had this whole yeah. backstory like oh yeah I have this friend visiting from Spain like it was uh, listening to that conversation I was like what like where is he getting all of this stuff like he has it very planned out and the whole time he's in Modesto like yeah vigil for his wife that's crazy missing. and yeah. she Amber is just playing dumb this whole time she's acting like she has no idea like and I, I'm kind of like, dude, you're all over the news. There's no way she doesn't know about this. Like, do you really think she's in the dark? <laughs> like, He's also stupid. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he eventually comes clean and tells her and she like, I mean, I thought she played it off really well. She kind of was like mad at him and stuff, but like they kind of kept talking and she kept like getting these conversations from him and stuff. And I mean, honestly, like I applaud her, like I think she did everything she could yeah uh, and probably like more than a lot of us would be willing to do so. oh yeah 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 but yeah that's just kind of another aspect of this you know like it kind of adds to like a motive as to why he might want to do this you know he wants to be single he has this mistress he want he might want you know have a reason to want to not be married anymore yeah, yeah. and have a kid on the way I mean a kid does kind of connect you to someone in a certain way and 
I it's it's possible he just panicked and was like I don't want a wife or a kid like I this feels like my only option so yeah and I'm pretty sure statistically the number one killer of pregnant women is uh homicide yeah so yeah that's sad it's really really sad yeah so on April 13th 2003 a torso was recovered from the San Francisco Bay. It was like a mom and her son were walking and they like saw it washed up on the shore and they called, it it still had like clothes on and stuff even. And so like they called police and they like taped off the area and they, they pulled it out and they, yeah, they like announced, I mean, you know how it goes. Like when they find uh, a body, they announce like, oh, remains have been recovered but they have to do a bunch of dna testing before they can confirm like who it is or if it's a female or if they're of this age or whatever it might be um so the very next day after they recovered the torso they found uh the unborn baby's body it was washed up about a mile away from where the torso was found but then let's see so four days after that on april 18th 2003 they DNA testing confirmed that it was Lacey and her unborn baby, which they were going to name Connor. So we'll call him Connor. Um, so April 18th, 2003 is also the day that Scott was arrested. Um, he was arrested in San Diego, California. He was like down here staying with family, I guess, uh, while all of this was going on, probably trying to hide out a little bit. I was going to say he probably had like you have to get away mm-hmm. something that big which is very interesting because fun fact the day that um the least amount of police officers are working is christmas eve and all of this happened on christmas eve so i'm you know uh if he was thinking that this would be a good time to murder her i'm mm-hmm. sure he wasn't expecting all of this publicity because i mean it was national yeah. I, you know same with Gabby Petito. We talked about her a couple episodes ago. Everybody check that out. Um, it was just something that, you know, people die and are murdered, go missing every single day. Um, hundreds of people, but nobody really makes a big deal. But for whatever reason, people decided to lash on to, or latch onto this one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy how much media coverage this got. I, I watched like the Hulu documentary on this and they said it even yeah. overshadowed a lot of like the stuff going on with like war in Iraq at the time like that that would they said basically if this had never happened that would have been a way bigger deal than it was in hindsight because this overshadowed it so much which I think is crazy (laughs) that's crazy yeah um so he investigators or like (laughs) police detectives who were like going to arrest him like followed him in his car in San Diego and they think he was like trying to cross the border and like get a like basically get away so that they couldn't find him because he had dyed his hair blonde and when they found him he had fifteen thousand dollars in cash on him and his car was like packed with camping and survival gear they said so i was like <coughs> i don't really know what the plan there was but it looked it looked awfully a lot like he was trying to escape so, okay, I want to do devil's advocate. What I, in another podcast, they were talking about this and they said that like, he had an explanation for everything. And here's the problem with the explanation for everything. So I'm a cough on my side. No, you're good. <clears throat> mm. Sorry, I hope it's not too bad with the verbal study. Um, 
here's the problem with the explanation of everything. All of the explanations are fine on their own, but together it's just so suspicious. If so they're saying everything example, you have to explain away, like it's okay. If there's a detail or two that you have an explanation for, but when it's everything, it looks terrible. It looks terrible. So they were saying, so with the blonde hair, he had dyed his hair blonde, not to get away from like police but because he just wanted some people to stop recognizing him and apparently the police knew he already had blonde hair because he before he left to go to San Diego I think he had told them so okay that's one the $15,000 his mom said that something with like his mom needed a transfer of that from her account to his account or something like that that I will say is suspicious only because like I've seen interviews with his mom and even if he did kill her or let's say he did his mom still would never believe it the way she was acting like that's her baby boy he has never done anything wrong to anybody the whole world's out to get him so that's a little suspicious but um yeah well we talked about had- that we talked about that on podcasts before how parents a lot of times like even when there is overwhelming evidence that their child is a killer they will still stand by their kid because they just can't yeah. let themselves go there let themselves yeah. think, oh my gosh I raised a murderer like yeah. which I mean to a certain point I understand but when there is overwhelming of, evidence of it it's like you gotta like, accept reality at some point <laughs> yeah and the quicker you can accept reality and like move forward mm-hmm. I'm sure they'll feel better because mm-hmm. but his mom uh, she seems a little out there but anyway yeah, so and then the other thing was he had his brother's ID and he said that's because he was going to go play golf and it was like a discount if you yeah have, he want, yeah yeah, something like that. He wanted like a like, discount. I mean, I will say I am familiar with this golf course that he was going to, and it is very expensive. So, <laughs> well, and once again, it goes, these are great. Like, if it was just one thing, okay, I see that. But it's all of these things on top of each. It just is so suspicious. It is. Everything he's, it's like he could not have planned out a more, if he did, if he did not do this, he could not have planned out a more perfect way to make it look like he did it. Like, exactly. this is, it was perfect like everything I don't know yeah yeah so yeah he got arrested um and his trial began on June 1st 2004 and again it was just an absolute media circus like people camped outside the courthouse people following him people going to his house all of this stuff which we've talked about this before not the biggest fan you know like it just seems a little like gross and yeah invasive to do that kind of stuff like I understand people wanting to kind of follow the trial but like just just have like the main like people necessary people do it don't follow him don't stalk him you know like he is still a person like I'm not the biggest fan of the media circus but then again I'm guilty of like enjoying consuming like the stories that they give me about trials and stuff so where do we find the balance (laughs) yeah there has to be a balance because it's honestly it's not fair also to like his family that he's staying with because they have nothing to do with it and like I I just I don't like camping out I don't I also don't see the purpose like it's not like you're like I hate to say it but you know you camping outside with your signs you're not making a difference yeah exactly exactly so uh, basically the prosecution claimed that Scott killed Lacey and then he drove her to Berkeley Marina where he took her out on the boat and like put weights on her ankles so that she would sink and just threw her in the water. 
basically, again, the defense kind of took the took on the strategy of just like poking holes and they really relied on the fact that there was not the there was hardly any forensic evidence it was mostly circumstantial um basically the only piece of forensic evidence they had was one hair that was confirmed to be Lacey's on a pair of pliers that was on the boat which I'm like I mean, he, she was his wife. Like, I'm sure she right. had been on the boat before. Like, there could be an explanation for that. Also, there is one piece of forensic evidence, a hair. Like, that's yeah. nothing. Yeah. And that, I mean, and that's where I have reasonable doubt. Now we can get into this part really quick. Sure. I feel like, Okay, also too, I looked at the definition of reasonable doubt for everybody to listen. This is the part that everybody's gonna, you guys are gonna love. We're gonna really into the weeds of this. Okay, so I looked at the definition. According to Cornell EDU, their law website, it says, this means that the prosecution must convince the jury that there is no other reasonable explanation that can come from the evidence presented at trial. And I just, the, all they have is that strand of hair that just is not enough. Like, I feel like, that's just not enough. It's just yeah. not enough. Yeah. It's, I mean, I think, I think I agree. Um, so there are claims too of people seeing her walking the dog. I don't think they were like super credible because they, none of them described her to a T basically is the problem. Right. Like, which is, I think is kind of a problem because she is very recognizable because she's so pregnant. Like, well, I think there was other, I think I heard where there was like two other pregnant women in the uh, neighborhood right. as well. And, yeah. you know, dogs, a lot of dogs look alike. So it's not like. Mm. It's People all, are like, oh yeah, I saw a pregnant woman walking a dog. It's like, okay, well, if there are other pregnant women around, it could have been any of them. Right. Um, so, I mean, I don't, I guess I don't know. As a juror, they're allowed to ba basically assign as much weight to different pieces of evidence as they feel necessary like if they think some a piece of evidence is super compelling they can make that the sole basis for their decision if they want to like it's it's just like I don't know juries are given a lot of leeway with this kind of stuff like if they think oh my gosh like I really think that people saw her walking the dog I really think he's innocent like and the jury as a whole kind of agrees on that then they would they can acquit him but if they think oh no that that guy who brought the witness is a total quack like he's he's just like pulling at straws here I don't think anybody actually saw her like convict him you know it's crazy how it can go either way just yeah, like how compelling the jury finds it yeah I just I I would just have too many questions like yeah it wasn't or okay so the fight like the people seeing her that day well I will say this people seeing her that day still doesn't mean that Scott didn't do it true so like I still would want more like if there was like blood on the boat then I would be like okay this guy did it no question asked but it's just mm -hmm. like the hair and then everything there's kind of like a okay I guess that's possible for every almost everything that they have like all of the yeah. circumstantial stuff like oh, I guess it's possible oh, I guess right. it's possible I guess it's possible so like, I just I don't I would not be able to convict him which is why like we were saying earlier I could not be on a jury I just, I simply wouldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Being on a jury would be tough. I mean, I think like, I, I'm a huge believer in our justice system. Like I, Me too. I would, I wouldn't like 
want to be a lawyer if I didn't believe in the justice system. I think that it's, I, I think for the, like, I'm not, I'm not out here claiming it's perfect, but I think it's fair. I think the, the way that we have it set up in this, where people have all these rights and protections, uh, I think that they, they generally get it right, but they do get it wrong. Like I just recently, I was telling Mallory took a class on the death penalty this semester, and they said that it can be like close to 4% of wrongful convictions that we get, which is pretty like, that's like shockingly high to me. That's um, huge. I, I mean, I, you know, that quote, it's like, I'd rather 10 guilty men go free than one innocent man go to jail. I yeah. feel that with every fiber of my being. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just the fact that this is all circum essentially all circumstantial evidence. Yeah. And that I, I don't because they, they tell us in law school, I mean, the problem with the reasonable, the beyond a reasonable doubt definition is that it's kind of vague. It doesn't actually tell you anything. Like the, what does what does reasonable mean? You know, it can mean different things to different people. Like they really in the law, they love to use the word reasonable and nobody knows what it means. It's like really one of the most frustrating things about being in law school. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, they, t they tell us in law school, basically like reasonable doubt means you have to be like over 99% sure. And I don't think I'm over 99% sure just based on the evidence. I think he did it. Don't get me wrong. I think he did it. But based yeah. on the evidence, I don't know that I would say I'm over 99% sure that this yeah. guy is guilty of this crime. And that's how I feel too. Like, I, I'm sure he did it. Yeah. I just don't think there's enough evidence. And I think that's, and that's a problem, especially mm -hmm. when it comes to like sentencing and things like that, because God forbid he actually didn't do it. First of all, someone... I know they have to feel, they shouldn't do the lottery. So I'm sure they feel like the luckiest person in the world if someone else did it. And then number two, if someone else did it, he, like his reputation is ruined. Even if they found evidence for someone else, I mean, his, I don't say his life is over, but. And like I said earlier though, I think what really did him in was the cheating. And seeing all that lying he did, I think that just, people yeah. couldn't separate. He it's just, hard to separate yeah. that from I mean just because you do all that doesn't mean you're a murderer right but you're still scum you know it's like yeah he, he demonstrated a pattern of just bad moral character essentially yes. and I think to the media circus since this was really one of the first media circus murder trials I wonder if that impacted the jury's decision I think because they weren't sequestered I don't think they weren't, and they also denied a motion to move the trial to a different city. Okay, I see the thing with these kind of cases, though, is they always like motion to move the trial like to a different location. But I'm like, is it going to make a difference? Everyone knows about this. Like, yeah, moving it to a different city isn't going to automatically get you like more unbiased jurors. It's just going to get you more biased jurors in a different location. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I mean it's just there's kind of no avoiding it in cases like this everyone's heard of it everyone's read stuff about it it's in our face all over the place like so I I don't I don't really think that that is like they always motion for it though and I'm always kind of like I feel like this is a waste it, of time and it's gonna get denied <laughs> like, no, so. yeah something this big is not gonna make a difference no yeah um so anyways moral of the story on November 12 2004 Scott Peterson was convicted of two counts of murder one count for first degree murder with special circumstances for killing Lacey and second degree murder for killing Connor, their unborn child.
I love how they convicted him for killing um, the baby as well. That's good. That shows the recognized yeah. life in the womb, but. Yeah, I, well, see, and I think that that's a really, like, not, I, we don't need to get too into the weeds in that with this, but I think that's a really strong argument for why abortion is inconsistent with the law that we already have. Like, mm-hmm. there are so many laws that recognize personhood in an unborn child that the fact that abortion is really kind of the outlier of that is I think a very strong argument against it yeah I think it's and it just shows that it is possible to get to the place where it is recognized because there's a lot of like so there's already laws that recognize it exactly yeah that's good that they did that continue yeah yeah okay so uh all right here's here's where I I get to go on my explanation yes (laughs) yes. penalty cases so how how death penalty cases work is they're required to do them in two separate phases so the first phase which is the trial that i just talked about is the guilt phase that is where they determine whether this person is convicted or acquitted of the charges and like i said they convicted him so since he got convicted they then move on to the sentencing phase of the trial which is a separate phase that happens after the conviction comes so what they do at the sentencing phase is the jury they they can present sentencing evidence, basically like circumstances in mitigation or aggravation uh, that either are like, here's why, basically like the prosecution will say like, here's why this crime was so egregiously bad that like he should get the death penalty. And the defense will put up evidence saying like, here's why this crime isn't so bad and you should maybe consider giving him life without parole instead. Is it the so, same jury from the first time? Same jury, yep, same jury. Mm-hmm. Um. So they hear this evidence and then they have to decide, like, do we want to give him the death penalty or do we want to give him life without parole? And uh, the this jury rendered a sentence of death by legal inject by lethal injection. And they also ordered Scott to pay $10,000 for Lacey's funeral expenses. So. They gave him the death penalty. So my so personally i am against death penalty mm-hmm. um i as a pro-lifer and there are pro-lifers who are against um the death penalty but that's neither here nor there but i am against the death penalty and i do for a myriad of reasons but this is kind of one of them in the sense of like circ this was he was on circumstantial evidence once again if there was blood on the boat i would feel so much better like it would make more sense but just for these tiny things, because the prop, like, death is so final. I mean, how many times have they gone back and been like, oops, we just saw that yeah. it actually wasn't this person, but they're already dead. Yeah. And that's just not, for this specific, that's just not, I, I just don't think that's right. Um, One of the big, well, two of the big reasons why I'm personally anti-death penalty is, as a Christian, I do think that we are not in charge of when someone's life is over i don't think we're in charge of when it begins i don't think we're in charge of when it's over i think we should have people should be on uh have life in prison they have a chance to hear the gospel um i just personally i just don't think that that's something that we're we should be in charge of as people um and then the other reason like from like a legal stand political or whatever standpoint is there's just it costs too much money it costs more money to have people on death row than it does to have them go life in prison and then number two we just really aren't like god forbid it's the wrong person 
or God forbid, I mean, there's been times where uh, there was a movie about it where a guy was on death uh, row and he had like a mental, something was wrong with him mentally. And like, it's just too many, too many things, too many things. Yeah. I just don't think that it's something that we should be doing. I, I totally agree. You really summed that up very well, Mallory. Um, I, I definitely agree. I, I was telling Mallory before we started the recording, I actually took a class on the death penalty this semester. I just took my final for it like a week ago. <laughs> um, so I feel, I feel like th- this case came at the perfect time because like, I actually feel like qualified to talk about this now. It's <laughs> good. Um, but I think going into that class, I was, I was like pretty on the fence about the death penalty. I feel like a lot of it came from just really not knowing that much about it. Um, but after taking this class and like we had guest speakers, like we had someone come in and talk to us from the California Innocence Project and we had a prosecutor come and talk to us and we had a defense attorney come and talk to us. We really got, I, I feel like my professor did a really good job of presenting like all aspects of the, all, like all stances, you know, on the death yeah. penalty, you know, like the prosecutor that came in, I think was a little more pro death penalty, the defense attorney and was a little more against the death penalty and the guy from like the innocence project was kind of there to show us like hey we don't always get it right like you know and that's another consideration to kind of have so I think really like the culmination of evidence I saw I think really did change my mind that I don't or not change my mind but like help me get to a point where I am against the death penalty because I think man like four percent four percent is is is, uh, like they obviously don't know for sure but 4%, 4%, that's a huge number. Like, and I would like, it just doesn't sit right with me that we can live in a society where our government can take someone's life. And that's yeah. not something that you can take back. You can let someone out of prison. You cannot bring them back to life. Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I am also against it. And I mean, I, again, I'm a Christian too. I, the, the Catholic church is very pro-life, <laughs> which I'm a Catholic. So I, I definitely, you know, follow all the church's followings on that. And uh, yeah, I, I'm also against the death penalty, I think. Yeah. At this point. So. And I just, back to the Scott thing, I just, what really concerns me is there just isn't enough, like, mm-hmm. okay, perfect example. Um, Josh Duggar, I don't think that he should get death penalty. I definitely think he should do life in prison. Um, but like, Scott, Scott, Josh, Duggar. Okay, I hear you. I hear you if you want to argue for him. Because there's, I mean, there's undeniable evidence. Scott Peterson, they're really, it's all circumstantial. Yeah, I mean, it's, I feel like there's just such a balance of facts in his favor and facts against him. You know, he has zero history of violence, zero. Yeah. And, I mean, just, yeah, everything else we've talked about, it's kind of like, well, there's this, but there's also this. <laughs> That's one of those cases where it's like kind of mind boggling. How it's like, oh, did he do it? I don't know. Like, yeah. So yeah, it's crazy. But anyways, so actually recently there was a development in this case uh, on December 8th the of this year, y'all, 2021. Yeah, like literally just a couple of weeks ago. Um yeah. The Supreme Court of California in a 7-0 and decision, uh, they upheld uh, Scott Peterson's conviction but overturned his death sentence because I guess the trial judge, uh, who is who is no longer alive, so I mean, 
interesting that's just like kind of yeah i mean that they're deciding on like a decision this guy made and he's not even here anymore like it's it's kind of interesting but uh i guess the trial judge had dismissed jurors who had opposed the capital punishment without asking them whether they could put their views aside so i mean i feel like this gets into a little bit of like legalese that not a lot of people might care about but basically how it works is like when you're picking a jury for a death penalty case the jury has to be what we call death qualified. So basically lawyers are allowed to question prospective jurors before they select them to be on a jury. And what they'll do in a death penalty case is they'll ask the jurors, like, uh, if we were seeking the death penalty, like, is there any scenario where you would be able to give someone a death sentence? And if they say like, no, I'm super against the death penalty, I would never ever give in a million years ever give a death penalty to anyone ever they'll dismiss them because it, they have to be like they they have to they have to be willing in some scenario open, to yeah, give open death to it if they have to be death qualified basically is what we call yeah. it so if he dismissed jurors who said they were who just said they were opposed to the death penalty but didn't follow up and ask like okay but could you give it to someone in any scenario if they had said yes I can put my views aside and give it to someone if I really felt that it was necessary then they can be on the jury like just because you're opposed to the death penalty doesn't mean you can't be on a death death penalty jury basically it's just if you could never would never uh assign the death penalty to someone in any scenario that's the only reason that they would dismiss them so I guess they thought that that was a big enough error on the trial judge's part to give him instead a sentence of life without parole so he is no longer like on death row he's gonna be in prison for the rest of his life though so as long as he's in prison because once again like so listening to some of the podcasts they were talking about how the media uh really really controlled the narrative on this case there was a time where they made the statement that the police smelled bleach there was never that there was never bleach the police never said that there mm-hmm. was a time where they um just like said stuff that were just blatant lies and then they just oh i know it was Kristen smart who we should definitely do an episode on one day yes we should from san diego or no recent Arizona. developments in that one too Oh, there's been developments in that too? Yeah, like, um, isn't, isn't that the Your Own Backyard case? Or am I thinking of a different one? I think you're thinking of somebody else. Am I? Maybe. You look it okay. up, look it up. But, I'm look it up. Yeah, so for talking. example, Kristen Smart was murdered and went to college with him. So then one day the media was kind of like, what if he murdered her too? And they were doing their own investigation and to see if he was also like a serial killer which kind of reminds me of what everybody did to brian uh lawn laundry uh-huh. with uh <laughs> with him but the uh my whole thing is like the media had such a control of the narrative of this so i think it just really soured everything because like you said nobody first of all they weren't even sequestered so I'm sure and they say don't talk about it but like let's be honest I'm sure those people go home and like let me tell everyone's you everyone's talking about it <laughs> yeah yeah or even if they don't talk about it, I'm sure you know they're sitting in the salon and everybody else around them is talking about it so like it's just so many things were against him mm-hmm. uh and he was a liar manipulator I mean 
have you seen Gone Girl, right? Have you seen yeah. Gone? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you know that the beginning is based off of Scott Peterson, and I just think about like if I forgot the guy's name acted like Ben Affleck, his character acted like um, Scott Peterson, because that's who it was based off of. Like I'd be suspicious of him too, because that he was just so like that behavior is just not. It's weird. You're not expecting that from a spouse, but um what someone said in a podcast I was talking about or I was listening to they said that his lying his weird behavior they think wasn't necessarily because he was covering up a murder it was because he was cheating and he, he was didn't have an affair him. yeah he was coming up an affair which once again is like uh, okay that, everything he did could be explained away like, I know. and I can't think of any other case like this I know it's crazy like everything I so like oh, yeah yeah. So, I mean, we always, we always do our takeaways. I guess I was thinking yeah. last, last night, cause I knew we were recording today. I was like, that's my takeaway. I think my takeaway is like, man, if you want to be single, don't get married. <laughs> like, yeah. Or if, if you find yourself in a marriage and you're really unhappy, like divorce is an option. You do not have to kill your spouse. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I just, I don't know. I, I just, I wish. I, I think, I think people need to take marriage more seriously sometimes, you know, yeah. I think Scott probably, you know, he's like a young, good looking guy. He's got this girlfriend who, you know, they could live this like really happy life together, but at the same time, he's kind of like, oh, well, I'm young. I want to have fun. I'm not ready, ready to give up the bachelor life yet, but you know, he decides to get married anyways. It's like, if you have that doubt in your mind, don't do it. <laughs> what probably was is he's probably like okay well we've dated the next step is probably marriage right instead of actually taking it seriously and being honest and realistic and being true to who he was which was scum yeah um and so from my takeaway I think my takeaway is um always remember whatever you do is going to come in darkness comes the light like Everything you do, you're hiding X, Y, and Z is going to come out. And I hope to God you're not doing something that could potentially be the reason why you are innocently in jail. Because I'm telling you, I truly, like, if the whole Amber Fry thing had not happened, I don't know if he would have been convicted. I think it would have, I think people definitely would have suspected it, like with Casey Anthony. But I don't think he would have actually gotten convicted if it wasn't for the whole thing. It gave people a motive. Yeah exactly exactly yeah exactly so which yeah like I, a, which you need in a case yeah. like this if there's no motive you've got nothing yeah yeah um yeah but I guess you know at the end of the day like all you have is your character like if yes if you ever god forbid need to defend yourself for something like you know make sure that like you're proud of who you are and what you've done with your life and yeah all of that I think is just really important because you just never yeah. know so that's a good point too, because when it comes to big situations like this, if you do not, you know, if you don't have good interpersonal skills, you don't have a lot of friends, uh, people think of you as a mean person, you hurt a lot of people, it's got, your character can make or break you. That's really in a lot of, not just as, hopefully you're not in a murder situation, but like even like something like a job your character how you interact with people the bridges that you burn mm-hmm. that can come back and hurt you yeah so yeah absolutely all right anything else you want to add i think i'm good okay 
Well, that is the tale of Scott Peterson. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. I really like that we have Abby on and she can tell us a little bit more like from the law school legal perspective of things. Um, so make sure you share this episode with everyone. I think this is good. Uh, we heard a different perspective um, than I had heard on any of the other podcasts I listened to I'll link them down crime weekly who you guys know I love they did like six parts of this and it was really good I mean it was in depth I mean oh yeah I mean we really just scratched the surface like there are whole podcasts on this case there are documentaries all of that so like definitely we encourage you guys to go check those out because it's definitely a very like detailed like multi-layered case that there's a lot of stuff you can learn about it yeah for sure All right, you guys. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Yeah, thanks for having me. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Those Other Girls with Mallory and Bailey. Make sure you like, comment, and subscribe on all of your favorite podcast platforms. Head over to our website, thoseothergirls.com, to read our blogs and receive exclusive content. And connect with us on Instagram, at those other girls podcast and on twitter at tog underscore podcast those are the girls changing culture and bringing back traditional values